0: Life Audio.
1: Today on Talk About That, John Kisses Dating Goodbye and tells us the one thing not to say in an argument. Meanwhile, I celebrate the inventor of the shopping cart and the Honorable Judge Wapner. Plus a conversation about toxic hindsight and why it's easier to be a critic than a creator. Today's episode is not sponsored by Cranberry Sauce. Much like your extended family, you only want to see us for one meal out of the year.
0: Enjoy Untangling Life with Rachel Wodo on LifeAudio.com or your favorite podcast app now.
1: The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga
0: of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate His acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art, inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ. You never know what we say off air,
1: Johnny, but right now, we push record. Let's talk about that. Sometimes we come on. If, you, if we ever come on and we we're chuckling already, yeah. something inappropriate has just occurred. <laughs> My
0: wife calls those things you can't tweet. Oh, that's nice. There's a lot of things that get said in the driver's house between us. That I mean, quite honestly, Johnny, would make me millions.
1: But We got a little uh, pushback when we posted our – it was a clip from uh, many episodes ago, but we posted it. Our social media team posted it. It was for uh, – we were talking about showing the Goonies yeah. to a child, your child. Yeah. And how you kind of cringe. You're like, oh, I didn't know Chunk said that. And then you were like, look, we just have a thing in our household." And you were kind of like very grace-filled about it. Like, look, there are words out there. That doesn't mean we have to say the words. But like you can't protect your child from every word within reason. You just, it's a weird thing to wrap your child in bubble wrap the way that we were. And we had so many people, like not so many, but I had a couple people that were like, just posting scriptures about like, let, no, no, let there, no filthy communication come out of your mouth. And I was, just was it like, more than one? It may, I think there might've been two, but I mean, that to, feels me, like to me, that's an onslaught of, that's an onslaught <laughs> of online. So
0: many people, I was like, really?
1: But you just don't know, like, are there people who th- saw that and were like, oh, well, if we let this stand, we have to, that means that we're giving people permission to be their worst selves and just curse a blue streak. So I have to stand up for truth here and they feel like they have to post a scripture, yeah, because they're they're misinterpreting what we were even saying. Honestly, well, and that's
0: the danger of a clip,
1: yeah, right. Because you're yeah.
0: getting sixty seconds, and and they're usually doing it.
1: Because the, you... the point was that we were saying like we can't believe that this past muster was this bad right? as a kids movie. These kids have the foulest mouths, and it makes us laugh now that we're like we gotta feel like we gotta cover you gotta cover Sadie's ears a little bit, or at least give it context. Of, right. Like Sadie, just because. You know, mouth says this doesn't mean you have to say it or whatever. But, uh, all that said, it's just interesting to me, like that the default position is just to be like offended or whatever. And I know that gets over said and it's, you have a right to be offended. I just also have a right to say, I'm not changing for you. (laughs) You know, I don't know. I, I,
0: you know, I added a new description to my Instagram profile that basically says, Mm -hmm. um, Very few quality conversations actually happen here. So if you want to really hear Uh important views or important things, go listen to my podcast.
1: Yeah.
0: And somebody else um, did the same. There's another podcast I listen to. And and they were talking about that. And they talk about politics a lot and other things. And they were like, look, we're not going to you can't win. Yeah. just putting out clips or putting out little posts and, right. and trying to do it all. And so for me, I mean, what I like about what we do here is at least we talk for 45 minutes to an hour about it. And, right. You know.
1: Well, we want sound bites, and that's because we have a short attention span. So we want, like, get to the point, like, don't bore us, get to the chorus, was what Tom Petty uh, used to famously say. Don't bore us, get to the chorus. That's great. And he had these great hooks in his songs. But we're but being so soundbite-oriented as a generation, and a couple of generations now, has given us the fruit of what we have, which is we have all these pithy things that sometimes have no substance. You can run an entire candidacy on it, some would say, just by being the most catchy person. And so, but also it's made us, yeah, we lack context or we like taking things out of context. That's one of the reasons we're so offended is we can take something out of context and be like, gotcha. Right. You know. Yeah, it's a real bomb drop. Mm-hmm. kind of
0: thing it's a it's yeah. a boom
1: roasted and that's not to say if you listen to the whole hour that you wouldn't be like no that's how he really feels like sometimes you might be right about me yeah that no my view it does does differ from your view on things like foul language or whatever even though i'm a clean comic i may have a different more progressive view on language and culture than you might have and guess what that's okay right it doesn't mean like one of us is going to heaven and one isn't well i always feel like that that the Place of correction. not I'm going to heaven. <laughs> Please I, tell me
0: I'm going to heaven. I feel like that correction can only be offered within an invitational relationship. That's something I I was talking to about that. One of our guys on staff, I was like, look, here's the thing. You don't get to correct where you're uninvited. Okay. As, if, if you want it to work. Yeah. You can go do it. Right. Um, I mean, look, writing about racism or other things—you know—we try to write, Reggie, and I, out of a, out of a place of this was about our conversations with each other, and we're letting everybody else in. You yeah.
1: know,
0: if you want to come in. But the bottom line is, the number one rule in counseling, at least on on my end, from like a Christian counseling place, is like I, I don't. In fact, if I'm going to say something that's difficult to hear, I will usually say, "Hey, is it okay if I give you some observations?" Like I always ask permission. Yeah. But if I just go barreling in, well, let me tell you what you're doing wrong. And that's what social media is. It's like a whole lot of counseling with no invitation. You know, it's just like. yeah,
1: I've not heard that in a long time, but there used to be a thing that it was like, it's the true killer of any like real dialogue when somebody goes, I'll tell you what your problem is. (laughs) (laughs) If it starts there, like nothing good ever came from that. Right. First of all, what he's about to say is abominable and how you're going to take it is not going to be like. I can grow from this.
0: But <laughs> well, the other one would be. Let me stop you right there. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If you have anything here, let me stop you right there. Well, and that's that's the. I know we're not to the to the uh, quote section. Let me see if I can find this. This is so good. I read this today.
1: This is not John's quote of the this week. This is not John's quote of this the week. A, this is another a bonus quote.
0: Yeah. And basically, the, the essence of it was is somebody who's a good listener is actually just thinking about what they want to say. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're just not paying attention. You right. think they're a good listener, but we're all kind of just, you know, or um, we tend to, we tend to like uh, listen to the people that go ahead and verify our pre existing mm-hmm. opinion of something. And so I think, yeah, if, if you can't find a way to listen, and you know, I talked about that at lunch a little bit, I know we don't want to get super deep here, Johnny, at this moment, because you know we're only a couple minutes in. But that's what it's we do a here. We just go so
1: right into the deep end of the pool.
0: But you know, if you read like I know I was reading this book called The Anatomy of Peace, which is unbelievable by the Arbinger Institute and and it's worth the read everybody. You maybe hear me reference it here and there. But basically like in most conflicts what people really want in order to be able to hear what you have to say uh-huh. is some minute level at least of validation of what they're saying. At least an acknowledgement. Yeah. And if you can't validate anything that they're saying like, okay, you know what? I hear what you're saying there and I'm beginning to understand why you feel that way.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Even if it's like, but to us right now in modern culture, doing that is like accepting it.
1: Yeah. It's acquiescing. You're giving points to the other side and that can't be done. You have to deep. You have to dig your heels in right. on your extreme point of view because you're giving them points, so you can't ever do that. To the point where we don't even call out people on our side. That's really the main issue that bothers me so much. We talked about that last week about grifters within the church. When we see somebody distorting the gospel and using it to just inflame culture or make money or whatever... When you just go, well, we just hope God will be glorified in some way. And I know that. that no, we got to call it like you get exhausted if you do nothing but call out. But I'm saying like at some point you got to go. That's not us. Right.
0: And that's what's hard because to some extent, what you allow is what you endorse. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. And certainly that's why
1: I thought about killing this show so many times. like, oh, John, I'm allowing this. Why <laughs> People are going to think John and I agree. I can't let
0: that <laughs> The flip side is, like you said, I mean, you can't spend all of your time. I you mean, know, I've known pastors who literally became uh, online self-proclaimed watchdogs. Sure. Like that they spent their time now just – that's why I think social media is not the place for it. They're just taking people down. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're just perusing what content – they're rarely making content. Yeah, they're perusing content that others are reaction to. Yeah, right. And they're just like, take down, take down, boom, roasted. You know, what I'm saying like
1: I thought about that, too. When I was talking to uh, about we were talking about Caleb, our friend, Caleb Edwards, who's great. Caleb Christopher Edwards and how like he's making these things. And like so many I meet so many musicians and songwriters and singers and songwriters. that are like, I wish I could do what you do. And it feels so brave to them. And I think it's the opposite. When I think about when I was making music with you. It felt more brave to me Hmm. because it's like you're putting your real feelings out there, which is what when what so much of what I do is I'm reacting to culture. Right. I'm saying, hey, you see this stupid show on TV and I can like have a a take on it. Yeah. But if I was going to make a show, that's putting my heart out there and going, please like my show, knowing that some other comedian hack is going to like make fun of me. Yeah. It takes much more bravery to like be yourself and put your emotions out there. You know, than to be like, I'm going to do a commentary on this. And that's my entire personality now is commentary on culture. Ooh,
0: yeah, man. It's tough. And it's one of those. My job is worthless is what I'm saying. (laughs) And I've got to be stopped. I always say the hardest voice for me to write in is my own. And that's been a real profound. Won't that preach? Realization in my life as someone who writes in other people's voices. But when it's time, it's not that I don't have things to say. Mm -hmm. It's that. I have too many things to say, and I'm not sure which ones are which one should be cut away and which one's going to really make the punch. That's why I really value collaboration and editors and those kinds of things. Yeah. Um, but there's something to be said for – in fact, it's, it's crazy. I was talking to an editor, and she said she knew another collaborator that she works with, an editor from a publisher. She said same thing. They're working on a book with this other writer who's normally a collaborator, mm-hmm. and, and it's a struggle – to, to Because you're so used to helping someone else's ideas go yeah. onto the paper versus finding your own because you are putting yourself out there. I'm less worried about the what they're going to say, I think, and just more like I'm just more in my own head with my own yeah. stuff as I, than I am with, with someone else's stuff.
1: What we talked about last week about being on the right side of history is this new angst that we have because we've seen history play out on television the last 50 years. So it's more visible in our eyes right. and we're so much more aware that we can be on the wrong side of something and then be judged by future generations. And it's a new anxiety that we have. Yeah. So yeah, having a hot take on something, you may be like, well, I sold a hundred thousand books and then be like, yeah, that was garbage. Well, you know there's you
0: know. a, a t- there's a great example of that um, in the late '90s, early 2000s. I forget the exact year, but there was a book called "I Kissed Eddie Goodbye" yeah. by Josh Harris, mm-hmm. and I mean it was a sensation. I remember reading it and throwing it against the wall because right. it was it was so frustrating for me. Yeah. Because it felt like what I needed to do, but I didn't know how to do. It's a, it's an you know anti dating well, culture. In, well, it played
1: into everything that you hated about yourself. It right. played up your self loathing.
0: And where I was struggling with purity and other things, And I think his his yeah. heart was right, and I think that the message was, it, like you said, there was a moment in time it was received very strongly because it was reactionary
1: to yeah
0: things that were that you know teenagers were struggling with but Ex- now you want to
1: explain the book a little bit to people who don't know that remember remember the that was the height of purity culture i think that's life. worth it. yeah dating was like we can come back to it yeah we need to come back to it let's hear uh for just a, a few moments it's a cliffhanger yeah i like it <laughs> i like it a word
0: from a few of our sponsors need more of god's power in your life I'm Christina Patterson, host of the Teach Us to Pray podcast, providing practical tips on how to grow your faith through prayer. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com. So yeah, I Kissed Dating Goodbye um, was basically an anti-cultural or conventional dating. Mm -hmm. It's basically saying that the ways of God... Are not aligned with the ways of the modern way like of serial
1: dating. dating,
0: right? You just, just dating until person. you find a mate, yeah. So you only you should only date somebody if they're marriage material, right. and if you're moving towards marriage, basically. So, so it's like a
1: courting. Every frivolous date that you have takes something out of you right. a little bit, like you're giving away a piece of yourself. It felt like,
0: and again, there's some validity to the to the idea that, especially on a purity, you know, line or or specifically on giving your heart so fully to the point
1: that you're not recognizing what season of life sure. you're in. Right, and now we have the other pendulum swing where it's tender and it's every it's almost like we don't revere uh dating relationships enough. Which it's just a it's just a whatever. It's just a hookup yeah. hookup culture. Exactly.
0: And, and I think that's what he was trying to speak against. And I feel bad for the guy. You know, he went on to be a pastor mm-hmm. and now he has renounced the book right because he felt like it did more damage and than the good. And renounced Christianity. And he is he has renounced faith in the manner that he wants... I've yeah. listened to interviews with him. In the manner that he wants promoted it, that right now he considers himself a person who is not on board for where faith is at the moment. But he didn't like... You could tell he was still in this Almost like he was back to being a seeker or probably right. in his life was a seeker for the first time yeah, in his life. But I think that you go... It's easy to go, well, yeah, but then he shouldn't have written that book. And you know, if you read Jesus and John Wayne, which I think is a great read, those kinds of things are referenced in there. And, mm-hmm. and, and I'm not yeah. saying... How in the world we can find a way to go? The guy, I think, was pretty you know, pure-hearted at the moment for what he was trying to do.
1: Well, and you probably had a lot of publishers along the way who were super conservative and thought, this guy is young, and he's saying the things in the youth language in a way that – but he's promoting a very old idea. In other words, we're scared to death of our kids dating. Right. Here's this young guy that's saying, like, we need to get back to, like – a biblical mindset, and this is what that looks like. Exactly, and so they they threw money at him. Well, yeah. So they, then you got then you're dealing with that of like you know I'm getting all these offers, I'm getting these advances, and it certainly, yeah, it certainly spoke the language mm-hmm. of what they were need, and I think a language
0: that they needed to hear. That's what's hard. Everything is in political science. Like we think of everything, we we love throwing the word fascist right now or socialist right, right. Um, but there, I remember a professor teaching about. The differences between radicalism and reactionaryism. Okay, and fascism would be considered reactionaryism. And it's funny because fascism, if you think of Nazi Germany, or whatever, is based upon you reacting to a villain. Yeah. Or you react, and specifically Germany is reacting to the, the armistice that ended World War One. That felt like that they were poorly treated over the course of those that time. And World War Two is really an extension of World War One because. They, they just felt like they were really really um punished to an nth degree for the first world war, and so when the depression hits globally, then Hitler is able to really kind of you know play upon the fears of the people and some of those things were real that the German people had it, it had gone through a lot of hardship because of a war that happened to their generation you know twenty years before or so and so like but it it it's one of those it's it's not about us doing something new. It's about us reacting to something old or someone that's mistreated you yeah. or is a threat to mistreat you again because they've proven themselves to, to be as such. Yeah. But then socialism on the other side, I mean, they do the same thing. They create enemies. Uh, they create somebody to be afraid of. But it's more about progressive. Like, hey, you're not getting what you deserve. uh uh-huh. And so therefore if we if we move forward, a radical shift forward, a progressive shift forward, we can all get what we want. Right. Right. So but it's it's less about they both have fear mongering in it, but I just think, you know, Christian culture, it's easy for us to look back and, and, and I'm I'm not defending it, but I think there has to be some nuance to go, well, hey, we didn't have all the knowledge Sarah, that, that we had then and, and again I'm really struggling saying this because I struggle to feel like I'm 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 letting bad things that shouldn't be connected to the church or to Christ off the hook yeah, and that's not what I mean like surely there has to be a way in between to go hey for that moment in time that right. makes sense to them but for it, the
1: light that we had yeah there, it is it's hard to give grace to something like that because you go like yeah even when you look back at the Falwell days and all the stuff the moral majority the stuff that I think is super regrettable and gave us the moment that we're in now in Christian evangelicalism mm-hmm. American evangelicalism that this moment is a comeuppance for those moments right. where we took the reins of the po- political power and we started kind of throwing our weight around the room, and now we're getting this like this voting block that you can't get elected without us, and we're in the pocket of the far right, no matter what the morality of the candidate is. It's a it's a moment that a lot of Christians are struggling with, and they have they feel a strange pull, they feel a lot of tension there, and I'm among those people, but. Uh, even then, it's hard for me to just be like, this was a calculated evil moment. I think it's hard. It's hard to give those folks grace, but it it is what it is. It, it just, you know, who knows what they were really grasping at? Maybe a lot of those people thought they were doing the right thing at the time.
0: Well, and I know Billy Graham and Jesus and John Wayne has talked about, and, and I think she even gives a little bit of grace is a strong word, but some context Yeah. that I think for Billy Graham, it made sense to him. Where he was, that wow! Think of how many more people we could reach. How much better the country would be if Christians were civically Mm -hmm. empowered. Yeah, right. Like they they really began. I mean, it it kind of makes sense in some ways that would that'd be great, right? We all are involved in government, but then the marrying of the politics to religion. Because again, if you marry two kingdoms, we try to marry some sort of other ideological kingdom with the kingdom of God, only one can survive. Yeah. You know, and so you're either going to push out God's kingdom principles in, in an unintentionally thinking that you were trying to amplify them or God's kingdom is going to, God's kingdom always going to prevail. I just mean though, you can, you can push yourself out of yeah. the kingdom principles. You can't push the principles out cause they're always there, but it's an interesting thought, Johnny. And you know what? I think it's a great moment for us to, oh. you know, we've got a new segment, Oh, that's right, We're doing new things around here. John's quote of the week. And every week right now, um, I'm working on what the intro song's going to be, so maybe we need you listeners to kind of chime in. Oh, it's the
1: audition process. Yeah,
0: you never know what might be, so I'm going to try something. uh, Let's go ahead and say, uh, guys, let's get to our uh, quote of the week.
1: Uh, That did nothing. John... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is so anticlimactic.
0: They heard it, but you and I didn't hear it. Oh, so. did they? Okay. But you need to know what it was, probably. Well, no, it's
1: fine. I mean, I I can just say it was probably lame. <laughs> this is some royalty-free nonsense that John found online, so he's been auditioning oh, them one after come another. On. Quote of the
0: week is actually from my friend,
1: okay, uh, John Anawachequa.
0: Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, used to a Well, he's a he no longer pastors in Atlanta, but he pastored for years there. And now he is the, young don't get this wrong, I believe the content director for Christianity Today. But, um, got to meet John when we were working on Not So Black and White, and he was just so kind to us and gave us a, an amazing sort of endorsement for me and Reggie's, uh, work and spoke into the life. But he's, he's just doing a lot of amazing things, especially on, on grief. Okay. Um, and he talks a lot about grief. So John Onwood Check was a great follow and a great read. He's got some great books out there as well. But, he said this one time, and maybe it's not his, but I just this is where it came from. But he says that pastors aren't meant to stand between you and God. Pastors exist to make sure nothing else does. Hmm. Which I just thought was like a when when you I know from a Protestant viewpoint. And again, I just got to, to speak to some wonderful folks in an Episcopal church, and their, their pastors are called priests, right? Uh-huh. And so you think of priests as this go-between.
1: Right, a mediator.
0: Yeah. But regardless of what you call it or what your structure is, there really is this feeling that we've been, or this sense that we've been trying to address in church that um, there's this deal
1: mm-hmm.
0: between the church leaders who get paid to do this, the vocational ministry people, you know, and then the attenders, mm-hmm. even to the point that we have... A term called regular attender now that's common in church culture. Yeah. And it basically just says that, you know, hey, you show up every week and I'll make a sermon and, you know, we'll entertain your children and make a good experience for you. And we'll both just keep telling each, that we're, each other that we're doing what Jesus wants. Right. As opposed to like living this honest life. And that's a little cheeky, I think, way to say it. I mean, I think there's more to it than that. Yeah. But you can, I've lived my life, and that's part of what I'm recovery from and, and what I repent of a lot to our church, you know, feeling like one of the experts, feeling that they, they really need me uh-huh. or they're not going to get this.
1: Yeah, that's the thing I think we grew up with in uh, in our upbringing was like that we they, we didn't call them priests, but there was a th- this idea that the anointed one uh-huh. was you can't get where you want to be with God without me. Right. I am a mediator of sorts, even though we're preaching that Jesus is the mediator, right? You also need me because I have this secret handshake with him that you could never have. Hmm. Uh, so we really weren't really raised with that whole priesthood of the believer thing. We were kind of more, even though it was, it was in the Bible that we read, but the, the culture was different. The culture said, like we talked about that when I made the joke at the mega church, you know, I make these jokes at mega churches and about the pastor and I'll tease the pastor and part of that's a little bit of a test. I want to see what mm-hmm. kind of culture is there. If a pastor can laugh at himself, the church needs to see you laughing at yourself, pastor. Yeah. Let me just say that. If you are somebody that everybody's going to clutch their pearls, if ever, anybody ever brings up your name and makes a joke because you're so thin-skinned, mm-hmm. you have a toxic culture.
0: Yeah. No, it's true. And only and only you can change that. Yeah. Like, again, you can't. That has to be top-down. Like, you can't... If you have that sort of culture, if someone from the grassroots level tries to address that with you, then it'll just blow up in everyone's face every time. Yeah. It has to be a moment of humility, a moment that you come to grips with yourself on and then invite. Like I said, invite. Mm-hmm. It's all about inviting. It reminded me of another quote, by the, by the way, from A.W. Tozier. John, there's too many. I know. I'm sorry. But he says, uh, okay. that modern religion focuses upon filling churches with people. The true gospel emphasizes filling people with God.
1: Yeah. I mean,
0: that's that same kind of thing. Like, what's? I'm not here actually, and that's one of my main prayers now, even as a dad. Is it sounds so preachy and so like cliche, but like I'm really my my greatest fear now is that not that I'm going to say something necessarily wrong or not show up and be the the best version that I needed to be for myself, is that I'm going to get in the way. Yeah, that God was actually doing work. And me trying to do it or I was trying to do was in the way and not where it should have
1: been. Yeah, and when, I, I've, when I've preached on Sunday mornings, which is rare, I do it probably five times a year. But one of the things I share is from the story, I think it's in Luke chapter four or six. It's about the the person they brought to Jesus on the mat and they had to tear the roof off. Right. And I'd read that story so many times. And I read it in a translation, I think it was a uh, New American or something, uh, and it was a New American standard, but it was, basically it said, the religious law keepers were gathered tightly around Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I never really saw that part of it. So the people who were, literally the reason the roof had to be torn off were the people that thought that they were the closest to Jesus, but really they were in the way of somebody that needed a healing. Yeah, wow. The guy couldn't get through that needed to get to Jesus. So somebody else, and so I kind of tell that story, and I go, I used to be these people that were, I I thought I was close to Jesus. I was around you, but I was just a religious law keeper. And And then somebody showed me one day that I was actually lame, and I needed to be, you know, lowered down to Jesus. Wow. And now I'm a guy that was lowered down to Jesus and got healed, and now I tear the roof off for other people. So it's like you, you're you're one of those three people in the story, yeah. you know. If you're a church person, if you're if you're if you've been going to church your whole life, like we have, like you're one of those three people, you know. You've you've been through all three, hopefully. And uh, so I don't know. I think there's something to that. Like we we forget who we are in the story sometimes.
0: That's good stuff. How much is it going to cost to get you in here to preach
1: that? Um, <sighs> we'll, now we'll have, have your people. Not reach giving out. it all away.
0: No, I love that. I mean, it it reminds me. Reggie tells a story uh, similarly in not so black and white. of the woman at the well and how there's all these parentheses in there where in the story that, um, he's with his disciples and they're all, you know, they're hungry Mm -hmm. and he sends them away. And there's all these little parentheses of like, because the Jews had no dealings with Samaritans and Reggie always asks like, Hey, when it comes to specifically racism, are you the kind of disciple that's going to go talk to the woman at the well? or are you the kind of disciple that he has to send away so that you don't get in the way of what he wants to do? Yeah. Because he knew they couldn't handle what he was about to do. Right. She could, She couldn't handle it. She was like, what are you doing? Like, we don't do this, you know? Uh-huh. Um, and so I want to be the kind, Johnny, that doesn't get sent away. I don't want to stand between people. I want to be, I want to make sure that nothing else does. And uh, guys, that was our uh, quote of the week. You heard
1: it. You heard it that time. Yeah, little hi hats on it. (laughs) Little smooth jazz from smooth jazz. John, let's end the show like we always do with our this week in history. We call it talk about then. John born this week, nineteen nineteen, died in twenty seventeen. Sadly, Joseph Wapner. Do you know Um, who Judge Wapner? Judge Wapner, American judge, TV personality. He presided over the People's Court, nineteen eighty-one to ninety-three. It was the first of the arbitration-based reality court shows, which now you know, which that had to are be very ubiquitous. That had to be very early reality reality television. I mean, yeah, I don't even know if you would. Yeah, it was early reality TV. You would cause, I mean, I guess it was it was curated in that it was edited, but it was real people. We assume, right? Or were these dramatizations? I don't know. I think they were real people. Yeah. So they'd come on and they'd go, look, this is small claims. It, it wasn't like thousands and thousands of right. dollars usually, but it was like, hey, this guy broke my whatever swing set. And, uh, he, you know, the HOA got involved and we're mad. and But we're going to let Judge Wapner decide it on TV. Wow. My favorite part of the People's Court is the guy at the end who I remember his name, John. No way. His name was Doug Llewellyn. Doug Llewellyn is the guy who interviewed the people at the end. And he would go, like, our court is now in session and he would kick to Judge Wapner yeah and then at the end he'd be like what do you think and then the guy who lost would just be so it was like one of the first things of like the players in the NFL have a contract they get millions of dollars but when you lose the game you have to go answer to the press uh huh and you just have to bite your teeth and, you know, bite your tongue and do it. Because, you know, you're at your moment of greatest, like, disappointment. And, and they go, why why do you think you did that?
0: That fumble. <laughs> how did you feel right before you fumbled? And the, like some guy that couldn't run the length of the football field is asking like, you, but you but right? like,
1: here's a guy who had to pay 80 bucks for a broken swing set. And he has to, Doug Llewellyn's smug face with a microphone getting in there and be like, what do you think about the judges? And you got to do it. <sighs> and I wonder what they made. Like, I'd love to research it more. Like, what did you make? You have to. They had to pay you for going on TV, or was it just like literally like? I, I think I'm going to be famous if I go on. I
0: imagine what you got was no court costs. Oh, that's probably true. You know what I'm saying? So you probably were saving money, get to handle it, and, and now but this then, is like how you're it.
1: the guy that. Oof, yeah, but he's you know. weird. And they'd always give the the, the case some cheeky name. You right. know, this is the case of the. <laughs> I wish you had
0: a cheeky Swing something. low sweet chariot or whatever. <laughs> it was a
1: broken set. and a broken
0: chariot. So. <sighs> I've seen it.
1: I've seen it just the once. I've seen it a hundred (laughs) times. John, this one from uh, History. Uh, It's another famous, infamous Dan Quayle quote. We've had a few of these on the show. Uh, He was known for his verbal gaffes, which in the old days were kind of killers politically. They're like, this guy's in office. What a dummy. Now it's like, we don't care at all. No. We can. People say the craziest stuff, yeah. and they get away with it. It's it's kind of. In, it's fra- Dan Quayle must be somewhere going seriously. <laughs> <laughs> I spelled potato wrong. I was done. Meanwhile, this guy's like dropping f bombs in a city council meeting. He's right. just like full steam ahead to his presidential candidacy. Okay, Dan Quayle, November fifteenth, nineteen ninety one, in a speech to the Christian Coalition, U.S. Vice President Dan Quayle declared, "My friends, no matter how rough the road may be, we can we can and we will never." Never surrender to what is right. <laughs> he had him. He had him right up to the end. Oh, it's right the last word. It is. It's very Michael Scott. Michael Scott
0: getting called in uh, by uh, uh, what's the what's the CFO's name? I can't remember. Oh, shoot. Um, and he calls him in his office like and he thinks he's in trouble. And he's like, Michael, I want you to here's the deal. Your sales. You're the only branch that's that's been profitable. Uh, yeah. Can you tell me your secret? And he looks around, he's like, well, you know, um, I always, in every situation, always, Try to never, and I mean never, I mean not if, and he just goes on and they, they he does this for like 30 seconds yeah. and they flip over to the little interview and he's like, sometimes I just start a sentence and I don't have any idea where it's
1: going. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what happened. <laughs> Probably is. That's why we got the teleprompters now. Uh, John, this will be good ones from U.S. history, which you should know this. David you, Wallace, sorry, that was the name of the David CFO. Wallace, sorry, do you ahead. know, yeah, <laughs> inventor of the sucket. Do you know <laughs> right. uh, who John Hansen is? From U.S. history. Not from the band, Hanson. He died uh, November uh, of 1783. This week in 1783. He was an American statesman. He was the first president of the U.S. Congress assembled. Oh, yeah. Because of this, he is sometimes called what, John? The first president of the U.S. By some people, they refer to him as the first
0: president. I am pretty certain that I just saw his house in Colonial Williamsburg. Really? But he died... And so he's not – there was a whole thing on him
1: and how important – Well, yeah, I mean you're saying if he, if he hadn't died – he'd, really, he'd be really old if he hadn't anyway. died, What year John? did he die? He died in uh, 1783 – this week, 1783. So that's it. So that's the deal.
0: Like they say that he, he would be remembered because he was so important. Uh-huh. But he wasn't there for the Constitutional Convention and stuff because he'd already passed. Yeah. But he was so key. Like people
1: he, – he helped. Yeah, that's crazy. The he U.S. Had, Congress had assembled. He was the president of the, US, the first U.S. Congress. And so yeah, he sometimes referred to so but he's not even in all the any of the founder conversations, nope. really I don't know, I didn't know who he was, no, and that's the deal. Um, I thought John Hansen was the guy from to catch a predator anyway, okay, so inventor of the shopping cart, John, finally, uh, this week born eighteen ninety eight Sylvan Nathan Goldman. Uh, he was an American businessman. He invented the shopping cart in 1937. Wow. He had noticed the customers quit shopping when their handheld baskets became full. His first cart was essentially a folding chair with wheels and baskets attached. That's kind of a rudimentary design. The carts were initially a flop as shoppers were reluctant to use them. As you can see, that would be, that would be a problem. <laughs> as you can imagine. Men found them effeminate. There we go. And women thought them too much like a baby carriage. So Goldman hired both male and female models to shop with them. So he created a little bit of a sociological experiment. Eventually, uh, the folding carts became extremely popular, and Goldman became a multimillionaire by collecting a royalty on every folding design shopping cart in the United States. So he must have just sat on the Mm -hmm. patents as they came out. He also invented nested shopping carts where the carts are pushed inside of each other for storage. So the ones we still see yeah. today where they the thing back flips up and they uh-huh. that guy So that's kind of a cool it's an American was he success born story. Today or... He was born this week, eighteen ninety eight, John. Wow. But he didn't invent his key invention until nineteen thirty seven, so he was four he was almost forty. Wow, that's so old. that just shows, hey man, if you're up there and you're like, You're telling me I still not, have hope. Maybe, well not you, you're oh, okay. mid forties. Yeah, you're right. You should have You've already done head. something by now. Yeah, you yeah. need to pull it together.
0: That's. I think you're. What about a drone? Is that, that you? That or my inner critic? I can't uh, tell.
1: That's well. Look, same voice probably. What <laughs> <laughs> if my inner critic spoke in Johnny W's voice? That I uh, apologize. Would be about right. No, I don't know. No. Well, that was good
0: history today, Johnny. do you think? I think so. Some, a
1: little bit of everything.
0: Informative, entertaining, uh, well done. Maybe
1: you're out there and you're making gaffes on a daily basis. Right. Just know that it's, history says it's a safe space for you now. Absolutely. There's Go no way. Go out there way. and just say whatever you want with impunity because maybe you're going to invent a shopping cart device. Or you'll be
0: cited on Talk About That. Yeah. Someday we'll... Not make fun of you. We'll laugh with
1: you. Laugh with. Right. We always laugh with. It's very supportive here. It's very supportive. Uh, You know. Speaking of supportive. Mm -hmm. If you'd like to support the show, go to talkaboutthatpodcast.com. Upper right corner, there's a button that says support. Mm. That's how you get ad-free content and and become a patron. Lower right is where you can send us a little note. If you want to know more about us, if you want to send us a note of encouragement, uh, just a diatribe. Or some kind of a manifesto oh. against the show, uh, you can send that there as well. Yeah, we'd love to read those on the air. Or Just you can make uh, some stupid jokes.
0: Shouldn't that the trash uh, talk about that podcast? That
1: tra- that, <laughs> send that straight <laughs> to our trash folder.
0: Yeah, you should also check out uh, Johnny W's website, j o n n i e w wcom com. New
1: tour dates going up every week. I got a great show coming up in South Georgia, November 29th. That's a ticketed event at the Muse Theater with Ed Wiley, December twenty seventh. Another holiday weekend where you might already be sick of your family. Come see me at Zany's Comedy Club, Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah. Go to Amazon.com, John. That's where you can find the, oh. the, the elaborate and articulate works of one John C. Driver.
0: Yeah. I don't, you know, we'll talk another time about it. I don't think I like my writing very much, but you guys should. So. Of course. You have great writing. I don't know. Come on. I, I I have this moment where I was like, the other day, I was like, how am I doing this? I was volleying things back and forth with actual real editors who know what they're doing. I was yeah. like, "Do they have any idea this is not imposter syndrome? Like, I didn't train for this." You are an imposter. Yeah. Huh. And it's been going like it's been going a while now.
1: So, yeah. I guess at this point, if you buy John's books, you can keep it going. <laughs> that's right. Can you please help please sustain my imposter syndrome? If you haven't seen Suits, it's
0: about a guy who is? Uh, it's an working as a lawyer, but he's really good at it because he can memorize anything. But he never actually went to law school. And they're wondering if it's. Ever Didn't really they have come a out.
1: scene like that in Space Cowboys where they're all too old to go into space? I think Clint Eastwood, uh, James Garner, a bunch of old guys, and the the one guy, has, they were old astronauts, I think, and they want to go back for another mission. Right. It's one of those the Earth is ending probably things, but and they need people who are former astronauts, but these guys are way too old. And the one guy gets in, he passed the vision test because he memorized the answers of the guy who nice. had good vision before him. He remembers, you know, E5, E4, nice. 5, 6, or ELP, whatever. I don't know. Do they put numbers on the vision chart? No, I don't. My eyes are I bad, can't. John. I'm not going to I'm, s- <laughs> I'm seeing numbers and squigglies. Johnny's like reading off hieroglyphics. The signs. symbol for pi. Uh, yeah.
0: But yeah, anyway, check out. Yeah, I appreciate that, Johnny. That was uh, I know. I just, just don't doubt stopped yourself. Stopped all the readers from wanting don't, to one. Listen, but,
1: hey, why don't you take it easy on my buddy John? He's ah, a good man. I appreciate that. <laughs>
0: okay. Hey guys, yeah, leave us a review wherever you are listening to podcasts, especially on Apple. Written reviews
1: help people find yeah, the show.
0: They do, and thanks to all of you who have it. Really has helped, and yeah. uh, we've had a lot more listeners in the last uh, few months. So appreciate that. Appreciate all that you guys do every week to join us here on talk about that.